Hey family, welcome to the Grabbing My Sword podcast. Here we are honest about our mistakes, we are open about our journey, and we are looking to be transformed through the word of God. I pray that this podcast will bless your soul, and I pray that you will enjoy it. God bless you. What's up, what's up, Grabbing My Sword family? Welcome to another episode of Grabbing My Sword podcast. I'm your host, Tavon. And before we get into it, I just want to thank all my supporters, everybody that has been uh, listening and tuning in, uh, sharing this podcast. Uh, I greatly appreciate your support. But today I'm sitting here with my bishop. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself first. I want to say thank you for being on this podcast. I know you got a busy schedule, but I thank you for your yes. But uh, I'm going to move out the way and let you give, give an introduction. Uh, my name is Bishop Maceo Smith, uh, the lead pastor of the City of Joy Life Enrichment Center. Uh, and we're just excited to be here and share what uh, the Lord has given us and whatever we need to do to make this podcast a great success. Amen. Amen. So I've been going to City of Joy since 2017, so that's about six years going on, probably seven years. And um, the moment I walked through these doors, uh, I really felt like this was the place uh, to be. And uh, today I really wanted to talk to you about where it all started and the elevation of it. So if you can just take take the listeners through the moment of where you knew, like, this is what God had called you to uh, to get here. Well, you know, I got my minister's license back in 2002, mm-hmm. I believe it was, um, and my road was different than a lot of other people. I didn't have um, a big schedule. People weren't calling me to preach. I wasn't flying everywhere. Uh, I know there was a couple gaps in there where I didn't speak for a couple years at a time. So uh, maybe five years I might have preached like two times. Um, but the Lord just kept dealing with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, at our last church, uh, me and uh, Pastor Devon, uh, we got to do a lot of serving. So we ran a lot of things at the church. Um, it gave me an opportunity to learn how a church works. Mm-hmm. It gave me an opportunity to learn how ministry works because church and ministry can be very different because you got the business side, you got the church side. But I had an opportunity to actually um, do a lot of learning in that season, uh, but it just wasn't a lot of preaching. And um, 2007, the Lord said, hey, I want you to start a church. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, nervous because I didn't have support like that. I didn't, you know, I would see these other guys start a church. They got a team of 15 starting, you know, right. and, you know, people, but I didn't have that. So um, I was fearful, and I waited a couple of years. But in 2009, the Lord told me to go and share it with somebody. So mm-hmm. I didn't even tell uh, my wife, Patrice, about it. I just held it to myself and just kept on moving. But uh, the Lord wouldn't let me sleep for a while. Uh, there was times where I was restless, and, uh, you know, God just kept messing with me about mm-hmm. it. So um, I went to my, to my pastor, and I told him, I think God is calling me to start a church. And uh, he was like, well, there's a church I can put your name in, in uh, I believe it was uh, Lorraine, or it was like an hour or something drive. And I was like, no, that ain't what God called me to do. <laughs> you know, right. I, I didn't want to take over. Because there's a different anointing for taking over a church mm-hmm. and starting a church. And I knew, first of all, wasn't nobody voting for no dude named Maceo. They wasn't doing that. <laughs> Secondly, I didn't want to do it anyway. So mm-hmm. I knew I'm not about to be out here campaigning and trying to get some deacons to like me. Right. So I knew that wasn't it. Um, but, you know, I just let him know that wasn't it. I was called to, you know, start one. And I wasn't even thinking about it. Actually, this was November of 2008. I wasn't even considering it. I was just going to say, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, I was going to wait my turn. I was going to, everywhere I was in ministry at, I was going to put somebody else in place so I didn't leave them hanging. You know, I was thinking of all that. I wasn't thinking of starting nothing until the year after. Um, but uh, we came to church that Sunday. And I tell the story all the time. We came to church that Sunday after I told him. And uh, he said, don't worry about singing, because I used to run the music. Mm. He's like, don't worry about praise and worship or nothing like that. 
and he just stood up on stage and told everybody, hey, today is Maceo's last Sunday. Uh, don't say goodbye, but say see you later. And my wife was like, what do you do? <laughs> right? Because I didn't even really share with her all that, that, you know, that I was called to pastor or anything of that nature. But it was a tough go, you know, and uh, we kind of got put out. Wow. And um, so from, for about four months, we didn't have a church home, but then we started in March of 2009, and ever since then, it was a, it was definitely a God-ordained situation. So I want to uh, go back to something that you mentioned uh, first. You said when you got your license in 2002, you had that gap year, what that big old gap where, like, you didn't really preach a lot. Mm-hmm. How is it to have a gift and know that you have this gift, but you're not able to operate in that gift yet? Like, how did that feel? Well, for me, I saw other guys begging to preach, uh-huh. you know, and I, um, I, I have a rule here. That I just know that I want all the people that come under me, come behind me. You never, ever, ever ask to preach. Right. Never. Right. You know, I don't care. You know, I got people who inbox me, they be DMing me. So all y'all who be DMing me, ask me to <laughs> preach, stop. Okay. But I, you know, my thing is, I have people say, hey, I got a word for your house, Doc. Mm-hmm. Damn, in town. No, 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 no. My mother put in us real heavy. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. Mm-hmm. Now, have I sat there before as a young minister? Um, seeing someone uh, come to the church as a guest, and I know good and well. <laughs> man, it was a time this dude came through, man, and I ain't trying to be funny, man, but preaching ain't his thing. You know, it might be selling cars. It might be this guy. It wasn't his thing. Mm-hmm. So I did have a moment in time where I was like, wow, he could have asked me, and I'm here. Yeah. Um, but he's using other people who I know for a fact, and he knows for a fact, and the whole church knows for a fact. They shouldn't be preaching. Right. It just wasn't a thing. So I had a couple moments of like, for real? But then because of my the way my attitude was about it, I didn't want to do it anyway. Mm. So, And I've seen in my history, not all the time, but I've seen in my history, many guys who, who are humble enough to feel they don't want to do it, God can really use them because I don't have to get arrogant or big head because I know that this really wasn't what I wanted to do anyway. It was right. all because of God. Yeah. But it was a frustrating season of, of where I'm sitting here like, you know, um, Lord, I know what you said, but it, I, I never got calls like that. Never. Um, I might have preached in 2002 to 2009. I may have preached 10 times mm. before I started pastor. Okay. Yeah, I, I said because, like, I know, like, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, even myself included, it could be frustrating to have a gift, mm-hmm. and God is not using you at all. And other people are being used. And it just reminded me of the story of David. David was anointed, but he went right back to working in the field while his brothers was out there using and working on a gift. And a lot of times we, we think that when God calls us to something, like, it's going to happen immediately. Right. A lot of times God, he puts us right back on a back burner. He calls right. us to the front, gives us that anointing, gives us that calling, and then he puts us right back on a back burner. And I think we have to just learn how to be patient and waiting until God says, you know, it's time for us to move forward and go ahead with doing what I want to do. what I would say, too, that's important is while you're waiting, be in preparation. Mm. Because some people, they want to wait till their name get called, then prepare. See, I wasn't like that. I was preparing when no one was calling me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, and, and even when, before I started City of Joy, I was preaching in my basement to nobody. And I was going for <laughs> But I was ready. You right. know what I mean? It wasn't my turn yet. But I was ready, and that's a good point with David because David's actual job was to be a shepherd. Yeah, he was called to be king, but his job was to be a shepherd, and he never stopped tending those sheep. He yeah. was preparing. He was getting ready. Uh, even while he was at, as a shepherd, he had to kill a lion, he had to kill a bear, he had to do yeah. all that stuff 
so that one day when Goliath faces him, oh, I done done this before. You it's know what easy I'm to me. Yeah, so I did a lot of preparation. I did a lot. So then when people saw me and it was my season, mm. they're like, man, you came out of nowhere. No, I didn't come out of nowhere. I've been doing this for years. Right. I just didn't have a chance. So the question is, is your integrity high enough to use your gift when nobody is watching? Mm. Or is your or do you only want to use your gift when you get to stand on the stage? Yeah, be, be prepared in every every That's season. Every it. season, even when your name is not called. Second question, uh, you mentioned church and ministry is different. Let's let's elaborate on that because I've never heard anybody actually say that. Yeah, church is church and ministry are different. Ministry is serving. Mm. Ministry is serving, and you know, you ministry is is cleaning the bathrooms. Uh, ministry is driving the bus. Ministry is. Uh, our evangelism team, we go out and we, we give food away. That's ministry. Uh, but when we're running a church, though, that's been, you know, I, people hate when you, I say this, but there has to be a business aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, because right now we're sitting in a building uh, that we purchased three, two, almost three years ago. We had to remodel it. Right. We had to get people in here to rent it. We had to get people in here to use it. So that's not ministry. You know, that's business. And when you're a founder, there's, there's a difference between founding and planning and taking over. When you're a founder, no one has a problem with you being a pastor because you've always been the pastor. Right. But when you're a founder, you have money problems, you have business decisions, you have all that. When you take over a church, I could take over a church 100 years old with $2 million in the bank. Yeah. I don't have a money issue. I don't have a building issue. But then I have a respect issue because the people still want the last pastor. Yeah. So it's different. It's like as a founder, you got to, course, do ministry, serve in ministry, do all that. But somebody got to make these tough decisions on where we going to have ministry at. Who's going to pay the bills? How do we pay the bills? Uh, should we finance this? Should we pay this in cash? Should we refinance the building? Should we buy the building? Should we go outside? Should we be inside? That's all church. That's not ministry. And, and somebody has to have some type of business acumen. Because I've seen some of the greatest preachers of our day. Mm. They can't run no church, though. Mm. And I've seen guys that can't preach a lick, and they got a great church. So the question is, how do we mix ministry and church? At the same time, as far as ministry and serving, and still having somebody to know how to run some money and run some books. Okay, that's good. I never, I never really looked at it from that, from that aspect or that from, from that perspective. So, what would you say to somebody that, like you said, they they're good at one side or, or not the other? What, what would you say to a person like that? To have a great team around you, you know, because like I said, uh, Pastor Devon, we've been together since I was nineteen, mm. and when we went to our last church. They allowed him to learn the books, the money, the finance, and they allowed me to run the service. So I could change service times. I could, I don't like this. I got rid of testimony service because we was in church before I, you know, <laughs> um, you know we, we had this night service on every Sunday night. Wasn't nobody coming, and when people did come, they didn't want to be there. You know, right. those were church decisions, um, ministry decisions, but Pastor Vaughn had the financial. And then I worked at AT&T Small Business for 10 years. So while I was coming up, I learned business from AT&T. I've learned all these different tools that I put in my belt. I, I bought my first house at 21, mm. second house at 23. I was a landlord at 23 years old. So I had business aspect there. So I understood property, I understood rentals. You know, all that was before the church, but that taught me how to run it. So, But having a great team is important because our top uh, pastors here, um, like I said, I've, I've worked at AT&T Small Business for years. Um, I'm a landlord. Pastor Devon ran a church finances before. Uh, Pastor Andre is a financial advisor yeah. right now for 20 years. Um, and Pastor Patrice is a great visionary and sees how things should look. So you, you have to have a great team, 
having a great team is hard when you first start because now you got to get people to trust you and there ain't nothing for them to trust. So I had to get three people, four people. My mother is a great servant. She can serve and, and exciting can get people to come into the building. I had to get people to believe in what God was saying mm -hmm. before they saw what God was saying. Mm -hmm. And that's the markings of a great team, and the Lord gave us that. How, so uh, I've seen a lot of great, great people on a team, and it don't work out. Mm -hmm. How did you know, like, all right, this is my four that I can, like, I know we can make this happen? Well, it's not that I knew. I knew them before, uh. so I kind of knew the, the, their strengths. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. That's right. just the reality. Um, but once I knew their strengths and I knew they could trust me to lead them, that's the hard part. Um, to have people that knew you before mm. and will still submit to you after, that's – I mean, we've had people that, that didn't stick with us. We have people that thought they knew, per se, more than me, and that's fine. But those that group of people, they submitted to the vision – they allow me to lead, yet at the same time, they have the right to say, Mace, this ain't a good move. And I'm willing to be humble enough to listen and say, hey. But at the end of the day, the ultimate decision is mine. And right. it's been times where we're in a meeting and, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about some stuff and three of them don't like it. But I'm, I got to say, all right, I understand why you don't like it, but this is what I feel God called me to do. And they'll say, okay. And they disagree with it. You know what I mean? But I have to be the one that God is going to say, hey, what'd you do with my ministry? What'd you do with my church? But then there's other times where they'd be like, dude, that's crazy. Don't do that mess. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know what? You're right. You know why you're right? Because you showed me that you're not saying no just to say no. You're saying no because of what you already have learned. Yeah. And that's where taking over church is tough. I got buddies who take over church. They want to write a check for $500 in the YMCA. Yeah, the deacon say no, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like It's like I don't want people to have emotion behind their decisions. When we're serving God, we need to be able to f understand the vision mm. and make the best decision for what God is calling us to do. Mm. And, uh, I was blessed with those. Yeah, so like, taking the emotion out of it—that's that's a yeah. good—that's a good thing. I've I've seen a lot of people like their emotions are so caught up, and that's one of the things that I'm learning about ministry. Because I started ministry when I was like 16, but I really wasn't like into how I am now. I was always like I say peeking through the door. I wasn't fully like into it. But one thing I've noticed now in ministry that I didn't notice before is that a lot of people walk around with their emotions. Yeah. And it, it, it's like, I I really, like, I was like, bro, I've never thought, like, God's people would, like, be like this. I thought when it comes to serving God, when it, when it comes to doing ministry, when it comes to glorifying the name of God, we'd take our emotions out of it. But a lot of people, like, they so in tune with their emotions is that they forget that this is all for God. Right. And right. It, it, it was just, like, crazy, to like, just, just to see. So how do you get, like, yourself to... Or your team to take their emotions out of it. Like, how, did, how did that well, work? There's still a human element, so we're gonna have some emotional reactions to things. However, I try to lead by facts and faith, mm. and I, I know that's a contradiction. But yeah, I was I was, lead by facts and faith. Reason I lead by by faith is because I know what God already showed me, mm. and then you lead by facts, not emotions, because it's times where I got an attitude too. Right. And I'm sitting here like you just. I was sitting there thinking. This dude done ran me down on Facebook, or this chick done got smart, did got an attitude. But the Lord said they need to still serve in ministry. So now I have to put my emotion aside because they're still the best for the for the opportunity, they're still the best for the for, for, for the people. It's times where I'm not feeling this. And I went to a conference years ago and they said, Senior pastors, if you run a church where you don't cringe or feel uncomfortable <laughs> in any of your church services, mm. you're not a good pastor. Because mm. even with y'all city blazers, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> God, what is this? <laughs> but 
I know your heart in the right place. Hey. I know we're trying to do something that's not 44-year-old Maceo. So I have to accept because what I don't want to do, and a lot of pastors make a mistake, is their church is their same age and their same mentality. I want a multifaceted church, a different age, different groups, different everybody, different race. I want it all. And in order to do that, I got to put people in the right place. And some stuff will offend me, and I have to be—I have to take my emotion out and ask, "What is the Lord wanting now?" And when you take your emotion out, you, it humbles you. Yeah, it's cool. We we all cringe. We yeah, cringe. Yeah. We cringe ourselves. <laughs> You're sitting there cringing right with you. Uh, but, yeah, it is true that a lot of churches, they don't know uh, how to transition. And I want to do it now. Yeah. I, I came from a church like that. Like, when I was younger, we had a lot of young young people. But as we all grew grew older, I, a lot of those young people left because our church, our church didn't know how to transition. That was one of the reasons why I felt like they left. And another reason I also felt like they re- uh, left because they felt like church was, like, forced on them. So when they also got the opportunity to leave, they they took it, but I really felt like it was because like church, uh, church, our church wasn't transitioning. I think that's the thing that every generation has to do. You have to learn how to transition because if you don't learn how to transition, the next generation that comes by, they to, like to be honest, like they just gonna be like, I don't want to be here. And that's how like, all my my peers are. They go to the church, they be like, yeah, it wasn't for me. It was just too old school. It was it wasn't like what I'm what I'm used to. They gravitate towards those churches that know how to meet the young people where they were at. Yeah, and then there's a thin line between transitioning and missing the fundamentals of the faith. Mm. Fundamentals of faith is never changing. Yeah, that is what it is. Holiness is still right. Uh, you need to confess your sins one to another. You need to be saved. You need to live for the Lord. That's never changing. However, you know, fish in the sea don't change, but the way we catch them does. Mm. You know, it's always going to be fish out there. But I can use a pole from 1945 or I can use a pole from 2023, and I might have better effectiveness catching that same fish in 2023. Then the question is, do you want to fish with a pole or do you want to fish with a net? Because my, my goal for City of Joy is to fish with a net. And if I fish with a net, I don't get to pick and choose what comes in it. So when I pull it on the boat, I need to make sure that each fish or each piece of shrimp or each piece of tilapia, whatever's in there, I need to make sure that we can put them in the right place on the boat. But we sit here and we use one 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 uh, uh, pole with one thing. It catches the same fish over and over and over. And then you look up and you see a church that's 10 years from now. Everybody's 65. Our kids is all gone and grown. Mm. And now we wonder why God ain't here no more. And I want to make sure that the Lord not only is here, I want to make sure he stays here in different ways that uh, you know people can receive. All right. So what what does that look like, the way you changed up, how you changed, uh, how you catch fish from, let's say, 2009 to now? Yeah. For, for now, I believe we have to be, which we didn't have to do before. You know, when I started City of Joy, I had a MySpace account. All right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So I, our first ad on City Joy, it was on MySpace. Uh-huh. And I actually started my Facebook page the Sunday we started City of Joy. Mm. Because I knew, hey, that's the new thing. I got to transition to that. Then as time went on, I realized Facebook ain't really it. Then Instagram. I still ain't into this Snapchat. I ain't into no, that. I don't really think yeah, anybody into Snapchat. But, <laughs> but no, but with, with, in 2009, you didn't have as much uh, uh, social media. You didn't have as much... Um, of these podcasts, you didn't have, you know, I, I, you didn't have all that. So now we have to make sure that we're, and my wife tells me all the time, I have to be out there more. I have to be doing podcasts. I have to be doing videos. I have to be okay with uh, Instagram clips. I have to be okay because I wasn't comfortable with that. You know, I was like, I had this mentality, if they want to see me, they can just come to church. <laughs> now it's like, you sound crazy. You know what I'm saying? If they want to see me, they should be able to see 
they should be able to receive. And we have members that aren't in Ohio. Mm. We have members in different states. That would have never been a consideration in 2009. But we have to step that up. That's why we're trying to beef up our media team, mm. beef up our outreach. We have to even keep up on our screens in the, in, in the building. We're looking at an LED wall right now so that we can stay effective and, and be able to attract what is happening right now. Because right. I'm telling you now, when I started, I knew I didn't want a steeple church. I didn't want benches. I didn't want all that. And that was back then because I knew I want to transition a building. Okay. So now with the chairs, we can move it around and have a play. We can move it around and have a funeral. We can move it around and have a wedding. That's what people want. And our evangelism tool was to get as many people just to walk through the door. That's different for me now. We want to have vote here. We want a daycare here. We want to, we have a Spanish speaking uh, church here. Mm. Uh, we have community events here. Everwell is a company that rents from us once a month. They bring 150 people to the joy room mm. to have their their monthly meeting. Mm. They're here for five hours once a month. But the point is, people keep coming in these doors at some point when they say, "I need a church." All right. Like, well, let me go to the church I vote at. You know, that's the goal now that I was not considering even back then. Mm, that's good. Yeah, social media. Uh, it's I feel like it's a new way of evangelism. Yeah. If you just post it on social media, somebody gonna see it. They gonna actually yeah. like. Hey, where that's out, I'm interested right. in that. So that I'm, but it, it's also tough just because like the views and stuff. Like some people, like they tap through, they really don't see it, and then they ask you about it later. Like, bro, I literally posted it on my Instagram right, stuff right, like right. that. But it, it, it's 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 definitely a, um, a difficult tool to use. But it, I, I see the strategy. What? Um, let me think of another question. What is something that you would tell a leader that is up and coming? In the church world or in the marketplace or we can do either or. All right. Let's do both. Let's let's do let's do marketplace first. All right. I would tell a young person who is a trying to be an entrepreneur or, or anything of that nature. Because just because uh, you start a company doesn't mean that's gonna be your livelihood. All right. Number one. I also would tell an entrepreneur on their way up, everybody's not an entrepreneur. You know, I got a buddy now, he worked for a Fortune five hundred company and he's rich. Mm. You know, but I've seen other people start a business and they ain't got no money. You know, you, like, you know how hard it is to start a business and actually live on it. Yeah, that is an insane amount of effort, work. Uh, your product got to be right. The question is, when you when you want to be an entrepreneur, is your product attractive? Mm. Do people want it? You know, everybody want to start a shoe company. Everybody want to start a clothing company. All oh, that's great, but for you to make say seventy five thousand dollars a year. You know how many hats you got to sell? That's a lot of hats. So my thing with an entrepreneur is be smart about it. Keep a nice job at the same time until you can't do both. So for me, I I was pastor in City of Joy for eight years Mm -hmm. before I had to step away because I like insurance and money. I like I got a family. So I had 250 members and I was still going to work on Sunday. You know, I just stopped a few years ago because the, the church was just too big and doing too much. Mm. But yeah, we had my wife, me, my wife still work. Mm. I work, still have my rentals, still have my uh, uh, a leasing company where we rent rent our space. But I'm saying some people make up in their mind because I'm an entrepreneur, um, I shouldn't have no job right now. And I think that's a dangerous way to to put yourself in it. Now, if it blow, it blow. But just wait till it get there. So that's what I would say to an entrepreneur. Uh, what I would say to a young pastor that's starting is, I would say be faithful and uh, keep working. Again, same concept. I've seen pastors start a church and they start getting a salary right away. 
and the church can't survive because you're eating off of the church, which is you, you working. Uh, hey, I believe pastors should be paid. Let, no, let's not do that. You know, I'm here 60 hours a week. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna pay me. You know what I'm saying? I, I need to do that. However, when I first started, I didn't have 60 hours worth of work to do. You know what I mean? So why am I getting a full-time paycheck? Mm. So I waited till we purchased a building, and I could not be in two places at once before I decided to take a salary. And I think as a young pastor starting a church, um, you know, you, you're walking into something. You got to give more than you're going to get. You got to give more than you're going to get. And I think the Lord will honor your sacrifice. Uh, so young pastor, be faithful. Keep preaching. Uh, be smart. Um, and understand that everything is not about you. It's about God. Because I think this new generation, and look at me saying new generation like I'm that old, but <laughs> this celebrity pastor stuff I think needs to be shut down. How, how do you feel about that? I don't have a problem with a pastor that is very popular and understands, but does he think he's a, he's a celebrity? Mm. That's my problem. You know, um, We're just servants of the most high God. Now, don't get me wrong. You write a book and sell two million copies. Hey, you out here on the trail. You doing yeah. your thing. We support that. You singing a song that a million people have downloaded. You doing your thing. I get all that. You got a church with 10,000 members. People going to know you. I get all that. But what's in his head about itself needs to be, I'm a servant of the most high God. Yeah. You know? Sometimes when I, when I look at those like celebrity pastors, I feel like if somebody who's not a believer, they see that, they it's always been a stigma like they in it for the money. Well, like I said, it, it's, you know, I, I remember somebody was talking to T.D. Jakes and, 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 and Joel Osteen, and I read this article, and, you know, Jakes ain't took money from the Potter's house. At the time, it was like 10 years. Mm. He, didn't, he wasn't on salary. Joel Osteen not on salary. Joel Osteen said, I wrote a book that sold, I don't remember it, sold 15 million copies. If you write a book selling 15 million copies, you ain't going to have a nice house. Man, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they have marketplace ability. Yeah. Now, most pastors are very talented for you to get up and look out of the same book and preach 40 years from it you're talented it takes a lot so i believe you can use your 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 platform mm. to to make sure that your family is good you know it wouldn't it be embarrassing that i'm the pastor of city of joy worship is hot we got two buildings and i'm running around here on the side of the road because my car don't start <laughs> And they're kind of weird. Yeah. You would think if he can do all that, why ain't the man got his business together? Yeah. But the question I always say, I can't control what other people think about me. I just want to always control what I feel about myself. The Bible right. says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, than to. You ought to. Yeah. I understand it can be all over tomorrow. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it earlier, like pastors should be uh, paid. I think a lot of people miss that. Like this is, it, at the end of the day, this is like, it's it's a job, but it's also a calling. But it, yeah. at the same time, it's a job. It's like telling you to go to work, do all of that, and then like, oh, you don't need a paycheck. Like you should just do it out the kindness of your heart. I, I don't I don't really be understanding that when people be saying yeah, that type and, of stuff. And they say that about that. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I have two children. I have a wife. I have to I have to have a roof over my head. Now, I was making good money before City of Joy. Mm. I can go get me a job. And when y'all have a funeral, I can't come. <laughs> when your mama's sick, I can't go to the hospital. Mm. When the church, when there's a, a a flood in here, I can't get the insurance company to make sure they ain't screwing over the deacons. You know, I can't I can't build the ministry on certain levels without being here every day. Mm. You know, now there was a time where the city joy did not need me every day. Now it's something every single day. I mean, I get here usually probably about seven o'clock, um, sometimes six thirty ish, depending on what I'm doing. I got meetings with people. I have not only meetings, I have phone calls. I have to still continue to 
find finances to fund this place without ties and offer. Mm. So I'm dealing with other businesses like, hey, you know, I'm working on renting the building out still. I got to get that room filled up. I got to get people in here. Come have your banquet here. I had a restaurant at City Joy for three years, you know. Um, you know, we're, we have groups. We have other situations. And, and that comes with time. And I'm not about to. It wouldn't be good for me, my children, or my wife to be here that long and not get got not get a paycheck. That's not fair to them, you know. And it sounds good. Well, he should just be giving it to the poor. Well, I would be the guy that need to be given to <laughs> if, if I didn't have a job here, y'all. Hey, come on, man. But I think most logical people are like, I mean, you got to pay the man. Yeah. Most logical people. Now, if you just hating on the body of Christ, you know, but most logical people are like, man, get a man a salary. Yeah, but with, with you being a founder, don't you just pay yourself? Or no, no, is it's it W two. I'm illegal. I'm legal. Oh, okay. And we have to have uh, people sign off on it. We have to. I got a paycheck like everybody else. Oh, it's a regular job. Oh. Yeah. I I thought that we, I thought of, to me I thought it was difference between a founder and a pastor. Yeah, no, I set it up right. I don't want nobody going. I ain't going to jail for nothing. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> no, but you 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 set it up and you can have you know you have I have accountability and I have people that can say yes or no to situations. But yeah, and one thing about starting a church though. Your heart is for the church so much that I'm probably underpaid. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. You know, you take over a church, you coming in saying, hey, this I'm coming if this, 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 this. And I get that too. But here it's like, no, I want to see I want to see when I'm gone, the city of joy still survive. And that's that, that's a passion of mine. So Okay. So let's let's talk about uh, your faith and your vision and what God gave you. What like what 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 did that process look like? Or that journey, I should say. What did that look like? It was, uh, and, I, and I spoke yesterday about disappointments. And I probably, out of 44 years of living, I've been passing almost 15. I've never been disappointed more in my life since the last 15 years. Mm. I mean, the, the disappointment level is just, you be like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it, it, you believe God, you pray. You know how many times we pray for somebody and we believe God and they still die? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they, I've had people call me and say, Pastor, can you come? Because if you pray, God going to do it, and he still don't. Yeah. You know, that those type of things. Or you have a vision to get something done and it fall through. You have a vision. You help people, and they run you down. I, man, I paid gas bills. I done paid electric bills. I done paid rent. I done paid car notes. And some of the same people that you support and you got their back, when you do one thing wrong, they gone. Mm. You know, disappointing to me is... Out of 10 years of you being a member, I say one thing you don't like, and now I'm no good. Wow. But out of the other 10 years, though, your son got saved here. Your husband liked church now. Uh, uh, you, I done recommended you to get a job. Uh, I done made phone calls for you to get out of a ticket. You know, I say one thing wrong, yeah, and you like, he ain't no good. Mm. That's the disappointing part about the ministry is people hold me to a higher standard than they hold themselves by 90 times. You know, they expect me to be perfect. You get smart with me. I get smart with you. I can't believe the pastor said that to me. Wait, I'm still a regular dude, too. They don't want to hear that, though. That's the that's the disappointing part. The disappointing part is when I'm walking in the grocery store, people looking at my cart to see what I'm buying because they want to see if something in there ain't supposed to be there. That's disappointing. Disappointing is when I'm driving down the street, people questioning why I got a nice car. I had a nice car before I got here. That's yes. disappointing. But then when you need me, though, Johnny on the spot. How y'all doing, man? And it's funny that you said it because uh, last week I was in the car at work uh, with this other parole officer and we was going house to house visit uh, doing stuff. He's like, man, um, 
I didn't know you you started a podcast and, and that's good and stuff that you did that he and he was like telling me like how you just started going back in church and stuff blah 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 this, and he started to mention like he like I don't really like hearing about church gossip like just hearing that uh, a leader was sleeping with such and such and blah 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 this I don't really like hearing that and then goes on to talk about how he was wilding. And I just when I be talking to people like sometimes, and I and I've I've dealt with this where um, I've I've made mistakes like I was young and doing wild stuff that I knew I shouldn't be doing, being being a Christian and believer, and I was getting judged, and they was doing the same thing as me. And at one time it made me so frustrated. While well, I looked somebody and did it in the face, I said, "Bro, you're literally on the same level as me. You have no room to talk." Absolutely. But at the same time, it, it, it was convicting, but at the same time, to me, I'm just going to be honest, it was satisfying because I feel like I finally put somebody in a place and I helped them realize you're no perfect as I am, and I'm human. Yes, yes, as a leader, as somebody who wants to lead, we should be held to a higher standard. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you can't judge me when you dirty just like me. Man, people's mentality of holding other people accountable and not holding themselves accountable is sickening to me. Yeah. It's sickening. Yes. You know, it, it's, it's, oh, the church, church hurt. I got church hurt because somebody got smart with me or somebody rolled their eyes at me at church. You roll your eyes at somebody at work. You, you know, you, you know it, it's like, but they hold us in the church, especially the churchmen, the pastors and the leaders. They, they hold us to this standard of living that is very stressful. Hmm. And I've had bouts of struggle that I had to deal with because, you know, I'm sitting here feeling I can't measure up. Yeah. And I'm getting more mature, and I'm understanding. Listen, I'm doing the best I can. And the best I can might not be good enough for you, and there is a million churches on every corner. I would love to have people in my church. Of course, we want to feel accepted. We want to feel God is doing something. But I would rather have smaller numbers than people who really are trying to be like Christ mm. than have a larger church and everybody judging each other and running people away from the faith. Yeah. You know? That's something that I'm learning uh, just in the uh, criminal justice system of how to not be so biased and judge people. Yeah. I've seen a lot of coworkers of mine from the different jobs I have in the criminal justice system that judge uh, uh, offenders, that judge people that's been in the system. And me growing up on St. Clair, I I know their mindset and why they do some of the stuff that they yeah. do. So I have that different perspective. And what I'm trying to, like, I be trying to get, like, other people to understand is, like, what would you do if you was in that shoes? What would like? How would you react to certain situations? I remember um, being in training, and it's a it was like a class of like seventy of us, and it was no offense, it was a white girl, uh, and she was talking. Uh, we were talking about corrections, so in the prison, so she was talking about how she would do such and such and this and that, and us being our number as black men sitting in that class, it was probably probably only two of us. I was like so, like so furious in in my heart, where I like I was, I just stopped the whole class, and I just like I really ain't, I did it in not a disrespectful way, but in a respectful way. But I wanted I wanted her to understand, like, bro, you have to learn how to look at stuff from a different perspective. Right. You gotta learn how to take your biases out of it because you don't know what you would do if you was in that no. same situation. All it takes is one situation to change your whole life. And a lot of times we're in that in that situation that changed our whole life. We're not taking the time to stop and think. We're reacting impulsively and 
most of the time based off emotions are based off of what the weight that we're carrying. And a lot of people don't understand that sometimes it's all about it. All it takes is that one moment and that sometimes we're not thinking with our right brain and we're thinking outside of that impulsively. And that's why I, I dealt with that for eight weeks, just not too long ago, mm. instead of what's wrong with you. What, what happened, happened to you? Yeah. Because once you understand Christ had the heart of what happened to you, not what was wrong with you. Yeah. Because he always would deal with somebody and he would look, he would look like where they came from. He would look like what happened to them in the past. And I think as we as believers and as the world, we'd do a whole lot better if we cared about what happened because we can judge somebody like me that grew up off of, off of Arlington Street. Mm-hmm. My parents bought their house when she was pregnant with me. They still there to this day for $17,000. Still there to this day. You can look at our, my upbringing and say there's no way he could be successful. There's no way he could do that. But what happened to me is I got put in good situations. Mm-hmm. What happened to me was I had the church and the Boys and Girls Club. I had basketball. I had all these different things. Okay, great. Maceo Smith is, is doing well, made good decisions. But the boy next door did not have Boys and Girls Club, mm-hmm. did not have a church, did mm-hmm. not have the basketball. He didn't have a father. My dad is still alive to this day, still married to my mom to this day, didn't have a parent. So then he's in jail right now, and you're going to judge him as a bad person. Right. That could have been me. Yeah. We was right there, you know? Yeah. So that's why I thank God for some of the stuff that didn't happen to me, but I'm also open-minded to stuff that has happened to somebody because somebody could be a great person. Just some things happen to them, man. Yeah. And we so quick to say, well, I wouldn't have did that. I wouldn't have did that. You don't know what, what you would feel like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on, man. And that's the heart of Jesus in us to be able to to, to be able to look beyond someone's faults and, and find their needs. Yeah. And it, it, it can also be difficult sometimes. I know for me it can be difficult. Uh, just another aspect of it, having your biases in it sometimes. you When you get caught up in having your biases in it, it's difficult to see the, the goodness of people. And I, and I, that's something that I'm learning with, with uh, supervising sex offenders. Mm-hmm. I, I Like a lot of times, they be like, oh, you 12, 12, 12. I'm like, hey, but I, I supervise sex <laughs> offenders. And then they be like, all right, that, that's cool. But when, I'm, when I am supervising sex offenders, um, that's something I've learned to look at it through love. Like, okay, they did do that. And that, like, come on. Like, that was yeah, like, it, it, it was crazy. But I'm, when I'm learning to look through it with love, I literally had a guy talk about something. And a lot of times when, when people grow up and they, they're a certain way, um, it was because of something that happened to them before. And when he spoke on what happened to him as a kid, it it took away what I what I had previously thought. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize why he responded the way that he responds. Hurt it, people, it, was, people, it was because of what he first dealt with. And like you said, hurt people. And just they ain't making excuses just to reality. Yeah. You know, and, and we all had these habits, hang ups and, 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 and all these and these things, but you know, the reality is what happened to you could actually change you. Yeah. It could change the trajectory of your life. And then that's why we love Christ so much because even though that happened to him, the Lord can still forgive him. The mm. Lord can still deliver him, and he can get back on the right path, and he can minister to somebody that's in that situation before they make the mistake right. that he made. We right. just don't want to see. We won't, won't, won't want to deal with that because we don't like what he did. Right. So, how did you respond to your disappointments? I've learned from watching others, especially uh, Bishop Joey Johnson is a great influence in my life, and I've learned watching him. Uh, one time, uh, it was real small, uh, music was playing, and it was a service he was preaching in, and the music messed up. It was bad, right? And Bishop just sat there and did not respond at all. And I was like, how did he not? 
He Bishop a cool person. Man, yeah. It was just like I'm, I'm sitting next to him and I'm looking at him. It's something bad going on. And he just sat there and, and he just and I in that that moment I will never forget. It helps me understand disappointments in church now, in mm. ministry now, because him getting upset wouldn't have changed what happened. It wouldn't have fixed nothing. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to now, and I'm getting better now at understanding. If I get off the rail, if I get depressed about this, if I go over the top with this, if I get angry with that, did it change it? All right. Or where do we go from here? All right. Th- that, that's what I'm doing with disappointment. All right, I'm disappointed because it didn't go my way, but then where do we go from here? Mm. What are we going to do now? Or we can sit here and complain, this ain't happening, that ain't happening, that ain't happening. But we're, we still got to do something. Right. So to handle disappointment in, in my life now is I'm just looking at what's the next step, and I'm in prayer. I'm, in, I'm asking God, well, all right, what do we do? This didn't work out for me. What's next? This didn't work out for me. What's next? And I've learned some of my greatest disappointments has brought on some of the greatest blessings I ever had mm. by just continuing to say, all right, Lord, what's next now? What's yeah. next now? And that's what I was talking about yesterday. When, when Lazarus died, Jesus sat for two days. Yeah. He didn't get there for four days after he did. That's disappointing. Mary came out and said, if you had just been here. Yeah, but the Lord still did a miracle within their disappointing seasons. Right, and I, I like the example that you use, looking at your uh, your leader, your bishop, and seeing how you reacted. And I think that's that's so important. And that's one of the things that uh, I'm learning here is like I, I've always been observing person. So wherever I've been at, I, I, I observe people around me. And one of the things that I've observed about you is that you're just humble with everything that you you do. And it has taught me how to in, in return be humble. That same way, I feel like I, I've grew up and I knew. How how to be humble, but it was it's good that I'm learning more on how to be humble, so I don't like get up there and like have a, have a big head or get full of myself. But it's it's I feel like it's it's important to pay attention in to what your leaders are doing, so you can learn those teachings, so you can learn, so you can gain that wisdom and that understanding of how you operate and stuff. And I think this new generation, uh, we get so caught up in wanting stuff that we don't know how to submit. It's like everybody want to be, uh, what is that saying? Everybody want to be chief, but don't nobody want to be Indians. And I think that we have to, for my generation, I feel like we have to learn how to resubmit. We have to learn how to to serve. We have to learn how to be okay with being in the back. Because while you're in the back, that's the you're best learning. opportunity yeah. to learn. That's the best opportunity to, to gain something. So that when you are in the front, you don't make a silly mistake that you that you could have learned while you were sitting in the back. Yeah, and I think in, in the scripture, the, the reason I'm humble is because I know I don't deserve none of this. This is reality. I don't. Yeah. But the scripture says, humble yourself right. under the mighty hand of God. I'd rather be humble myself than he humble me. Yeah. Because when he humble you, <laughs> it's, it's not bad. Gonna, right? It's not going to be what you thought and, it was going to be. And the thing is, with this new generation, I'd be seeing people, hey, great. You, you called the ministry. Wonderful. I was too, you know. I'm never going to be that guy to tell somebody that God didn't call him because people told me that. And look what happened. So, not going to do that. However, I do think people need to learn how to submit and serve because now all of a sudden you're called and you're a pastor of a website, you know. Or now you're called and you don't have a pastor because can't nobody tell you nothing. Now you're called. and But you're missing so much training and so much. You know, me and, me and Pastor Devon was like you and Kamar. You know, that's exactly who we were. We was doing everything. We was... But we learned how to run a church yeah. so that when it was our turn, it wasn't like the first time we've done this before. We've already been a part of church growth. We've already been a part of youth ministry. We've already been a part of all this stuff. So now that I happen to be at the head, I can go back to those times when nobody knew my name. I can go back to those times when nobody was calling me to preach. I can go, I don't, I don't got to preach at nobody's church. But the Lord used that in a way to be able to open doors and elevate me because mm-hmm. he knew when I get there. 
I ain't gonna change. Right. Some people, when they get there, oh my God, you got 12 members and you got 17 armor bearers and four security guards. Don't nobody want to kill you, bruh. They don't. Don't nobody want to bother you. They don't know you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, some pastors, you need that. You know, right. I had stalkers, man. People was mailing me letters to my house. I had people threatening us. You know, I need somebody around because people be weird. Right. But some of y'all take it to a new level, man. <laughs> it be like, bro, like, you call somebody, he got nine members, you want him to come preach, and you got to talk to 17 secretaries. Mm. Dude, I got your cell phone up. <laughs> like, what are we doing? I know you. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I got people that's big time. I can just pick up they pick the phone. Like some of that stuff, I just be like, man, y'all want to be so big time, and you know, and it's just me. You know, I can carry my own notes to the podium. Mm. They not it's eight pages. Hey. I don't need four armor bearers <laughs> to carry eight pages to the podium. Like, what are y'all doing? So, hey, I don't want to mess up my church here. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, that's how it is with me. I'm just like, I never was into that stuff. Yeah. Of course, we have people who are willing to serve us and willing to. And they're not serving us. They're serving God, and we happen to be the vessel. And I was that guy. Like, I was, you know, what my pastor needed, he can call me. I was that guy. What anybody didn't call me. So, I'm still a servant to, to this day. But I just, uh, I think people just need to chill because, one bad situation, and I'm done. God can shut this down just like that. Yeah. So, Lord, I'm humble. Uh, I want to serve you. I want to do the best I can, and I pray that people are getting better while they're dealing with me. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's easier to serve somebody that's humble than to serve somebody that's full of themselves. Because when you when you serving somebody that's full of themselves, and I and I done, I done seen it. Well, I, well, I, yeah, I would say I done seen it where I was just like. I would never want to be a part of this church because the the leader is so full of themselves. They like belittle others, and it yeah. and you never want a leader that belittles you. You always want a leader that is putting you, like you said earlier, in the right place, in the right position where you can succeed. And I think that's the important thing about being a leader. How do I put you in the right place so that you can be successful? And we and I, I'm grateful to have that. I'm grateful to have somebody that's like, okay, I'm gonna put you in this place so you can grow and so that you can be successful. And it's, it's more comfortable, even though it's still uncomfortable to be in this position. You like, you don't know if you can really handle it, but it's more comfortable to know like somebody trusts me enough to put me in a situation and to say, hey. Let, let's see what you can do with it instead of being around somebody that just belittles you. So I feel like that's that's a good way to uh, be an, an efficient leader. And then you also said something about you are still a servant. Yeah. I think that's something that we, we also get caught up as when we get into leadership positions that we forget that Jesus said in his, and, and he came to serve, not to be served. Right. Right. A lot of people forget that whatever wherever you're at, you always should be willing always to serve. Always. And I think being a servant, it prepares you so much. Uh, because, he, you know, there's multiple times in the Bible where even with Jesus, when he turned water to wine, mm. he used the servants to do it. He didn't use the master. He used the servant. The servants got to witness the miracle and be a part of the miracle. Yeah. I want to be a part of the miracle, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and some people, even many times, they feel like it's my turn. I ain't time to serve. It's my turn. Yeah, but if you ain't been serving, we've been going to put you up, and you'll get your feelings hurt. Mm. And you got to have somebody to be able to tell you, hey, you ain't ready for that. You ain't ready for that. You know, everybody not ready to stand on City of Joy stage on Sunday night. Mm. But you are very, you could do it in a groove. Like, yeah. Let's get you groomed. Let's yeah. get you ready. Because you go up there now, 
2,000 people online is, is talking <laughs> about you in the comments and you wouldn't know. Right. You know what I'm saying? But if you do it on air, see, I, I, I've, I've, I've bombed out before. Of course, we all are human. And there's been times where I was like, man, that sermon wasn't no good, you know, da, da, da. But the Lord still finds a way to still minister to somebody in that. Mm. But that's because I'm right. It's my time. God has prepared us. But when you bomb out and it ain't your time, I know a guy that bombed out one time and he stopped preaching altogether. Wow. It was a bad sermon. But you was ready, though. You thought it was ready. No, you're not, you're not ready yet, bro. It, 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 it takes more than that. So just keep serving, keep serving, keep serving. And God, I promise you, I am the epitome and I am the example of your gift will make room for you and bring you in front of great men. And uh, I want them both. Right. So I got one more question because I know you got to get out of here. You, uh, you just touched on something that I, I, I be struggling with sometimes, and it's the bad sermon. And I re- I remember like one one uh Bible study I was uh, when I had my Bible study on campus. People they was into it whatever. After it was done, it was just me and my friends. And I talked about this on like uh, episode. My it was like my second episode. It was just me and my friends. We was sitting there, and like everybody was in smiles and stuff. But I was just sitting there, and I was just like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that wasn't good at all. And tears began to come on, uh, roll down my eyes. And one of my friends was like, I don't know why you're so disappointed when they got what they needed. How do you, how do you operate? How do you deal with that? Where you feel like you got a bad sermon, but somebody still was like, that touched you know, me. There's, di- there's the different definitions of bad sermon. There could be a bad sermon where you felt it didn't, you didn't convey what you felt you should have conveyed. Yeah. Um, but it still hit the hearts of people and you prepared. The other bad sermon is you didn't prepare and you was lost and that was your fault yeah. in the discussion. <laughs> and then the third bad sermon is you're not a preacher. Mm. And that's not what you, you, you stutter. You can't talk. Right. You know, you, 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 you're boring or whatever. Yeah. So for me, I guarantee I can control if I prepare. Mm. I can't control if the people receive it. I can't control if people's lives are changed. None of that is in my control. The only thing I can control is did I spend time with God and the text? Mm. If I spent time with God and the text, I'm mature now to say, hey, you know, it didn't go the way I thought it would go, and I'm still human. I'd be like, man, I ain't get that like I wanted. But then be the ones where you get the most inboxes. Yeah. Man, I had somebody quote a sermon I did like six months ago, and I was like, that was horrible. <laughs> but I controlled my controllables. Right. I prepared, and I asked God. Mm. I knew the Bible, and I asked God. Mm. If you do that, now the question, are you not a preacher? Are you not a projector of public speech? Mm. You know, you could be a great lesson. You could be a great Sunday school teacher. Right. You could be a great street preacher. You could be a great one-on-one. It's some people who are way better one-on-one than I will ever be. Mm. But the Lord has just gave, given us anointing to be in a, in a larger setting. But everybody got to know they know they lane. and. To force your lane into something that don't make sense is going to be set up for a crash. And a bad sermon that, that you don't prepare, that's your fault. Mm, yeah. That's your fault. That's you good. Know? Be all so ready. I used to have a, I got caught one time when my pastor years ago asked me to preach, and I said I wasn't ready. He said, if you ever do that again, I'll never ask you to preach again. And that was cool. <laughs> From that point, I went in my basement, and I prepared a sermon, mm. and I put it in my visor, mm. in my car. One day I was out of town with Pastor Andre, and they was like, hey, man, the, the preacher's supposed to preach at this noonday service, and he got sick. Hey, you got word for us? 
I was like, yeah, let me get your whip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had no cell phone back then. Right. I went to the whip, grabbed that sermon, and the Lord blessed. Somebody would say, oh, that ain't right. You just planted that sermon. No, that's when God wanted to share it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was ready. I didn't know. That thing was sitting there for months. Mm. But right on the day that the Lord had me use it, people got blessed. But I did my part. So, you know, be prepared. Uh, be prepared even when anybody calling you. And then one day, God got to open that door. All right, one more question. One Sorry. more question. Last question. How did you find your lane? By getting in other people's lanes and it ain't work. Mm. When I first, I come from an apostolic Pentecostal background, so everybody going hard. I mean, everybody. Huh, huh, <laughs> huh. I mean, they preaching like they got ass. Everybody, <laughs> right? And I'm not hating on that style. Cause I grew up in that, uh-huh. and I tried that. It just didn't work. Like, it was like, man, I'm out here. My throat hurt. I, that ain't me. So then I tried the super Ted talk, the just the conversation piece. That wasn't me either. But I got in that middle uh, expository where, where you go verse by verse, and that was my comfortable place. Oh, man, I can do a verse by verse sermon right now. I can pull out what the Lord has given me. And that was the most comfortable for me. And I think once I settled in that, people were more attracted to me in my messages for that. Because, <laughs> A, I'm not trying to be somebody else, so I'm comfortable. You know what you're going to get. Now, do I get excited? Yeah. Do I try to, you know, have fun? Yeah. But my main lane, I found probably, I would say, three, four years into me pastoring. And I know people probably like, what? Yeah, I was trying to be. I mean, I, my hero preacher of all time was Noel Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just love that guy. I mean, but I can't preach like that. It won't work. So I had to find my lane. And you know what helped me find my lane more than anything is being exposed. Mm. Exposure. Seeing this, seeing that. Remember, I grew up apostolic Pentecostal. I only saw one thing. Right. So now I need to be exposed to more things. And then I can find my lane because the more exposure you are, the more you find out who you are, who, who you, you actually are. And, and I'm done with this, but I, I read this book. I think it was by Joe Osteen. I don't remember. But uh, he talked about this guy. He lived in a one-bedroom, one-bathroom. Uh, house neighborhood the mm. whole town everybody got one bedroom one bathroom and uh, the man won the lottery he won 20 million dollars and they interviewed him. they said hey man what you gonna do with your 20 million dollars man he said i'm about to build me a new house they say what the house gonna be like oh it's gonna be the best one bedroom one bathroom <laughs> house in the world because he was never exposed mm. to more i found my lane when i was exposed to the uh, to the different cultures. Mm-hmm. I was exposed to my lane when I was exposed to different denominations. I was exposed to my lane when I realized the world is bigger than how I've seen it. Like and that. that let me find out who I really am. And I could actually say, you know what? I'm comfortable being me. And I want to start a genre of, of style because I did it, not because I'm copying somebody else. That's good. That's good. Um, so we're going to wrap it up. What What would you like to leave the people with? Man, I, I, I just would say... The easiest thing to do is be yourself, be prepared, and work hard. Don't want no handouts. Don't look for no handouts. The Lord going to bless you. But if we are prepared and we seriously are serving the Lord and we say, God, I'm ready for you to do whatever you want to do in my life, I need to be prepared and make myself available and ready for that. And number one thing that I've ever done that has blessed me is serve God's people. 
Amen. All right, so we're going to wrap this up, but let us uh, first pray. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this conversation, God, and I pray that this conversation will bless somebody's soul. I pray that somebody will find their own lane, God. I pray that you will give them the heart of serving, God. I pray that you will help humble us, God, in areas that we need humble, God, and let us never forget that you are God and you are God alone, that we need you, God, to do any and everything. Father God, I pray for these people that somebody will be saved and their souls will be delivered delivered from a dark place. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for joining, and we will see y'all next time on Grabbing My Sword Podcast.